Welcome to the Church of Now podcast, where we believe kids and students and young adults can make a difference now in the moment. We don't just ask them to be the future of the church, but we believe that they are the church of now. We're going to be talking with ministry leaders about what it looks like to inspire and tell young adults and kids and students what it looks like to make a difference now in the church. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast. We have Brian Leslie on the podcast today. He's a professor at Johnson University and a guy that I had for a couple of years while I was there. So Brian, why don't you tell us about yourself a little bit? Yeah, so I, I direct our youth and children's ministry programs here at Johnson University. I'm a lifelong youth pastor at heart. Uh, I got into youth ministry because of what my youth minister did for me. He was one of the adults that saw me as an awkward high school kid and poured into me. And I was like, man, if I could do anything, that's what I'd love to do is be what he was for me. Uh, so I did that for 21 years uh, after graduating college as a youth pastor. I was in Maryland for four of those and Indianapolis for 17. Um, and then uh, the opportunity to teach and to, to multiply what I've been doing in youth ministry and train others to do it. I came up here at Johnson University and uh, it, it's been a great fit and a great extension of um, getting to do youth ministry with high school and college kids still on differing basis, uh, but then also training up future leaders um, that will make an impact for students for, for many years to come. So yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell real quick. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so what does your ministry look like for you right now? Yeah, so there's a couple of aspects. One is the, our, the direct ministry to college students. Um, and it's not just uh, vocational training of how to, not to. There is that for sure. Uh, but there's also a huge formation aspect going on. Uh, what's happening for an 18 to 25-year-old uh, that they're, they're working out and, and sometimes even deconstructing uh, some of their beliefs. And so I, I get to be a guide in that journey. Uh, to help them wrestle well and to, to merge uh, with a stronger faith of their own and conviction. And then hopefully we're training them really well on best practices and how to succeed at, at ministry for the long haul. Um, so that's my first primary uh, ministry. Secondarily would be um, to, as, as kind of an advisor, <laughs> encourager to, to youth pastors who are out there. So every summer I'll spend a couple of weeks um, just uh, as a campus pastor at some events um, that just there for youth workers and hearing their stories and praying with them. And then often I'm on speed dial with <laughs> some of our graduates and other youth pastors saying, help I'm stuck or man, I'm not sure. Um, or even just resourcing them of some are starting a transition. Hey, what's out there and how can I help? So I would say those are the two primary ways in which uh, I'm involved these days. Yeah. And, and you are surrounded by tons of college students, tons of young people right now. Um, I know Johnson has a couple hundred on campus. And so uh, you're, you're around them all the time. You're teaching, you're having phone conversations, you're advising, you're guiding, you're doing all those things. What do you think that um, young adults need to hear from the older generations right now? Uh, I'll give you one real simple one is the truth. <laughs> uh, 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 this generation is allergic to spin allergic to a shiny, easy answer. Um, they don't want the cover-up. They don't want um, the, the PG version when the rated R version is the real thing. Um, so the very first thing that 
our generation needs to do for the younger generation is uh, tell the truth and to be be transparent uh, because they're smelling our hypocrisy. They're seeing through um, nice answers that don't hold up. And I, I actually think that's where a lot of the deconstruction is coming from is watching the faith of adults and going, that doesn't seem to hold up for what I'm experiencing. And I don't think adults are being transparent enough to let them see what's actually happening, that we're, we need to be more open with our struggles, more open with our doubts, um, to see how God shows up in the cracks of our weakness and brokenness. And that's what I think a younger generation is crying out for is, hey, is there anybody real out there? And if we can do that, um, I think that's going to be it. I'll give you a second one, um, which is right there behind it. Um, the younger generation needs to have adults who believe in them. Um, it's just, there's like, I think I read a stat through, uh, this past week that it's like 66% of adults have a negative outlook on the future for Gen Z. Oh, wow. So 66% of adults think, um, negatively about the future of Gen Z. Um, the church has to change that. The church needs to be the place where that number is inversed, where it's a, a, a church that believes and empowers and believes the best for what could be. Uh, for our young people. So I'm not exactly sure that what that says about the, how they view the future or how they view young people. My guess is a combination of both, that they're, they're, they're bleak about the future, uh, what that means financially, culturally, et cetera. Uh, but I also think they're short selling this generation um, that has overcome so much already. This is a generation that's grown up with recession and <laughs> pandemics and go down the list. So um yeah, so I would say those two things. They need the truth, and then they need um, adults who are going to believe in them um, big time. So, Right. And, you know, there's people like my age and, and those college-age people that are going to school for ministry or for, you know, maybe some other degrees. But specifically, I'm thinking about where you are at Johnston. You know, how do you, how do you teach uh, your students to empower those younger generations, especially like I'm, I'm about to put together a class for our parents and for our people at the church that talk about the culture that their kids live in. Mm -hmm. And those, and these kids live in a place where a lot of the older generations may, you know, harp on them, you know, that you said the 66% or whatever. Um, and so students need to be empowered. And so how do you teach, you know, your people that are going into ministry, um, the young adults that you're around to empower that younger generation? Yeah, so um, it's it's truly believing that every believer has something to add uh, to the body of Christ. And so um, if I believe that, then there is something that a young person brings to the table that the whole church needs. Um, I've often talked to, uh, to uh, fast forward a little bit, um, our churches need to hear from our young staff people as well. Um, so sure, the wisdom of older staff people, 100%, but I've also heard oh, ministers and <laughs> even older youth pastors talk like, oh, they got to put their time in or the young buck doesn't quite know what they're doing yet. So they kind of feel their, their voice is kind of pushed off to the side. And I think the church, in order to, to reach this culture, is going to have to elevate those voices in order to reach the generation that those, those pastors represent. So it used to be, let's let the older, the, the elders lead the way for sure, and the senior minister, but those they need to be listening to their younger staff people if they want to reach that age category. So if you want to reach 25-year-olds, 
listen to your 25 year old staffers who's, who's in that culture and can tell you what they need. So it's, it's elevating every voice, recognizing that every voice matters. Um, that students in particular, I'll, I'll talk about high school and middle school here for a second. You know, their passion is one of the engines of the church. Um, that that's one of the things they're going to bring. They're going to bring idealism. They're not going to have it all figured out and they're going to make mistakes, but man, you can sure tap into the best of what they bring and allow their passion, uh, enthusiasm to be infectious to the whole congregation, um, which has sometimes gotten jaded or <laughs> set in their ways, et cetera. Uh, but it can, it can be a catalyst for change in a whole church. So if you can really elevate and tap into the best of them and they, like I said, every voice matters. So it's true even for our older folks, right. our young people need our older folks as well. But I think we get that intuitively. Um, we don't always get that the older folks need our younger folks to, to help shape them as well. Yeah. So so what are some practical ways that we can do that in the church? And, you know, you talked about staff staff members, young staff members being able to speak up. But, um, you know, we, we got to talk about the middle and high school, too, and the kids. And so how do we as churches or as really just the church body? Um, recognize that and actually listen and not just say we're listening. Yeah, and I think maybe we've elevated some values that um, I don't know that they're the best for the church. So we've put excellence and productivity and programming at the top of the chain of how a church gets to where it needs to go. And I, I think church probably needs to be a whole lot messier, <laughs> uh, a whole lot, uh, maybe even louder, if, if you will. Um, to incorporate all the voices of the church. So that means your Sunday morning, if you bring middle schoolers and high schoolers in and then include them in the service, it may not run as smooth. <laughs> it, the, it may not be the best uh, prayer you've heard. It may not be every note hit right on the bass guitar if you have uh, a high schooler playing, but it's a much fuller picture of what God's doing. And so elevating their voices and their gifts to be incorporated in the church to serve alongside um, is going to be a better picture and a healthier vision for what the church should be versus every note perfect, every lighting cue hit. Um, there, there's a there's not a there's diminishing returns on that. <laughs> How good can we possibly get on our Sunday morning show or Wednesday night youth show? Um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be the thing that wins. What's going to win is authenticity authentically incorporating all those people into the body of Christ, uh, young and old, and then finding ways maybe especially to serve alongside. So instead of having a service project where you take the youth out and they go serve, uh, a better scenario is when we could get uh, our students more regularly plugged in to work in the nursery and they're working with someone and now a relationship can form. They could be a second grade teacher helper and, and they serve and they, they get to know that person um, they can be a part of uh, grounds crew of in Indiana be shoveling snow, <laughs> uh, whatever it might be. Um, but there's there's ways to to get them working alongside. I, I can remember as a, a kid, um, it seemed like we had a, a moving team that when someone moved, there's this crew of guys that went. And I remember being a middle schooler, and I actually loved helping people move because I felt like I was I was a man, like I, I was I was in it. So I would go get one of the donuts that somebody would always bring. And um, and then they would applaud you when you're carrying the boxes and look at the look at the young guy go. But it, it was community. So I can remember those guys. I can remember wanting wanting to help and be a part of it. And it only comes when we 
we see the value in um, each other and really try to find practical ways um, to, to get, get us connected and get us talking. Yeah, yeah I love all that. Uh, give, me, give me your definition of the church of now. Yeah, so the church of now is a church that's focused on um, the intergenerational collision that occurs right now. So the church of now isn't necessarily hip and trendy. It is focused on every person matters, every person has a voice, and the church of now isn't just the church of the future, so we got to go get young families, or the church of the past as protecting tradition, that we need all of those working together and colliding in the same space. Um, naturally, a collision is kind of messy, like it's, it's going to, the collision is dynamic in a sense it's, it's going to cause ripples to go out from it but the collision is good. So the church of now in, in my world is the, the group of people that happen to, to be in a community right now that make up the church um, that we're a part of. So yeah, I think it includes young and old. It includes male and female. Uh, it includes all, all the differing things that exist in a community. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Um, so obviously we talked about this a lot when I was in class with you and different things like that, but, um, you know, parents and, and, you know, the, the dynamic that they have and the, the situations that they're in with their kids, um, how do we, how do we help and partner with parents to encourage them and encourage our students to be a part of the church now? Yeah, I think there's a few things here. I think one is a lot of parents are just tired. <laughs> especially uh, in a pandemic uh, we're still trying to figure out masks and online school and all that stuff that parents are just tired um, and they're running from this this thing to the next and so part of what they need to hear is that there is help they're they're not alone connecting them to other parents that's one of the resources I think we underutilize in the church is just not that we have to fight all this programming but helping them see each other like, hey, hey, this person is going through the same thing and connecting them to each other so they feel less alone in those struggles. And, and parents often go private when things get hard. They're, they're, they're scared to talk about the problems they're facing in their home and even sometimes embarrassed um, about some of the things they're facing. So if we can cut through some of that and really help parents connect with each other, that's huge. Um, and then just like I said, the church providing resources and, and ways that we can help is a big thing. But then lastly, I think going back to the whole hope thing, we need to, to project and, and help them see what is possible for their teenagers, um, help them to dream a different dream for their teenager. I've run into so many parents through the years that ultimately, I think they wanted a good kid. Um, it was their ultimate goal. So I'm going to get my kid to go to church so they could be, quote, a good kid. And we need to help cast a vision for a Jesus kid. Um, so our goal isn't to help your kid be better and maybe not do bad things. Our goal is to help you have a student who's yielded to Jesus and is bearing fruit uh, that resembles Jesus. And that's a different, that's a different goalpost. And so helping parents see what's possible and to dream dreams about helping their kid come fully alive in Christ and be yielded to Christ. Um, I think that's the goalpost. And so uh, I think we can show them what's possible. And I think a lot of times people just sell teenagers short of, of what they're capable of uh, and what they could look like. So not just a good kid. We want Jesus kids. And that's a different thing. Right. And I think, you know, I think a lot of this, you know, the Church of Now podcast and that whole idea came from, you know, me growing up as a teenager and always being sold short 
and and I, I see my own students who are like, yeah, I could do something, but I'm young, or I could do something, but this and and so what would you say to a student that may feel like they're sold short, but they're really on fire, they really want to do something, but they just feel like they can't? Yeah, so I think part of it is there is, uh, I'll talk about my daughter for a second. I have a sophomore in high school who, uh, girl who goes to local high school here. And um, man, she she's on fire for Jesus and always looking for something. And she wants to change the world. And so she has big dreams. I don't stifle those dreams but I have to show her how that connects to the everyday. Mm-hmm. So in other words, most of what the things Jesus are calling to aren't very sexy. Like they're, they're not flashy. Right. It's the being kind. It's, it's seeing people, it's loving people, being encourager, uh, being faithful. Like your faithfulness matters because it's going to show up. Um, students are watching they're going to know. Um, and so being consistent, being faithful, being kind, that's how we actually begin to change the world a, a life at a time. And that's, that's where the impact really is. So I'm, I know a lot of students like want a stage or a platform uh, to go change the world. And most of our lives weren't changed by those people. Yeah. They're maybe influenced, but they weren't changed by those people. It was somebody who was close to us that really marked us. And so it was a good friend. It was a mentor. It was all those things. And so students can do that now by simply diving in and realizing the everyday faithfulness and then intentionality of caring for those around us and letting Jesus show up actually is the difficult work of transformation. And if you do that enough, then you're going to, you're going to see fruit from that, but it's trusting in the longer view rather than the shorter view. Um, So yeah, there's huge ministry potential for students to really change the world and change the trajectory of of people's lives. It's just going to be a little bit slower and harder than, than most of them think. Uh, So if we can help them, stay encouraged, stay after it. Um, and then they're going to start to see fruit. Yeah. I remember growing up and seeing, you know, the speakers on stage at conferences or whatever. And I was like, dude, you know, if I could do that, that would be, I could change the world. And then I had somebody that was close to me at the time that was like, you can't change the world. I'm like, you know, who are you? Who do you think that you are? You know, saying that to me. Um, but what they said was, you know, you can change where you are. And that's so important. And it's not about the stage. It's about being faithful. And we even at CIY this year, we had a couple of girls who were like, man, I want to live up my faith, but it doesn't look like Sadie Robertson. And I'm like, that's not who you're called to be. You know, that's not the, that's, that's not what you need to be focused on. It is about the the day in day out faithfulness um, of, of loving people well. And what's been really cool is, you know, we went to CIY in July and I, and I feel like I'm starting to see that from our girls that went. And so that's been really cool. But yeah, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the symbiotic relationship between the stage and what I'll call the cup of coffee. Um, Where does transformation occur? The answer is both, but they're working in concert. So the stage often sets up the one-on-one coffee conversation where transformation occurs. Or vice versa, the one-on-one conversation uh, prompted and led into being receptive to hearing what happened on the stage. And so we always, we focus so much of our ministry attention on the stage and our programming, but I think so much more of our transformation, at least 50%, I think they work hand in hand, is happening over a cup of coffee um, or the one-on-one conversation, wherever that may occur. And so helping our students understand, you know, 
the stage looks good and you're seeing the emotional highs and all that good stuff. But if you're really trans to pick your own life and go, where was, where was my life marked? I can tell you lots of good conversations that I'm different today. I can tell you exactly where I was, who it was with um, kind of thing. And so therefore all of us can be a part of that. We can all um, dive into conversation and people and lean on that and not to cheapen it. It's, it's just as valuable uh, for the kingdom. Yeah. And I remember, and I do this with my leaders and students, we did something in your class, you know, your top five sermons and top five people, you know, that have influenced you. And it's so much harder to find those top five sermons. Um, and, and for somebody that's heard a lot, you know, been, been at a lot of conferences, been in a lot of church, um, it was hard for me to find that. But then you think about the people. And so um, it's so much easier to be influenced by the people around you than the stage stuff. And so I, I, I hope that I try and tell my students that all the time. And I even tell them, I'm like, you won't remember half the things I say from stage, but you'll remember that I came to your game. You know, you'll remember coming to my house just to watch the Tennessee football game or, you know, whatever that is. Um, so important. So important. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good, man. Um, what would you say to a listener uh, who feels like they don't belong to the church right now? Yeah, I would just say uh, you're in good company. In other words, the, <laughs> the Bible is not scared of your story. The Bible is full of people that didn't seem to fit in Old Testament or new. If you look who Jesus picked to be his 12 disciples, you're going to find a really mixed bunch uh, of people. And, and we don't probably even get how scandalous his 12 were uh, because we've lost it. So tax collector would kind of gloss over um, the modern equivalency. I don't even, I couldn't give it to you, but all I know is it was shocking that, that this group of people is who Jesus picked. Um, and therefore, if you feel like you're on the outside, like you don't have it all together, um, you feel like you don't fit the mold or what people think, that's exactly who Jesus was gravitating towards. Matter of fact, he was called a friend of sinners as a, as a dig at him. Like, <laughs> what is he doing? And I think the, the modern equivalency would be, I'll just say it, friend, friend of gay students, friend of um, go down the list of things that people might label as there's no shot for them in the kingdom. That's exactly who Jesus would be hanging out with. And it'd be uh, who he's, who he moves towards. So if you're feeling left out or you're feeling like, man, I don't fit the church mold, or, uh, I just know that that's who Jesus pursues and is pursuing. And I, I would encourage you to focus on Jesus, read through a gospel, get to know what Jesus is about. And then you'll be able to at first maybe tolerate some of God's people uh, until you start to understand God's vision for community isn't probably what you think it is. Uh, most of our churches are still kind of bungling and, and that's because we're human. But community at its best means that people feel loved and cared for. Um, and so there is a place for you. But um, I get it. I get it. We've made a we've made a mess out of it. <laughs> and I get uh, it looks it looks like, man, I wouldn't fit in there. But I just encourage you to focus on Jesus, and then you'll start to see how community might fit into that because he had a different vision for what community looks like. Yeah, I love that. Hey, tell me your best or your funniest ministry story. <laughs> Ooh, uh, <that's, laughs> I've got too many. Um, let me think for a half second. Yeah, well, let me give you this one. Uh, I was leading a mission trip of high school in New York City. So we're in New York City, traveling all over the city. We're working with a missionary partner there who was church planning uh, in Manhattan. And so we had to take the subway. And so 
uh, we would take the subway all over the place. We had a group of, I think, about 15 high schoolers and a couple, four adults. And so one of the talks we gave them was, hey, we're on the subway. you got to pay attention. Yeah. Um, so when we get off, you got to hustle off and hustle on. Uh, the New York City, those doors don't say open long. Uh, there's other cities where they stay up a little bit longer. But yep. New York City, they're open and then they're shut and the train's gone. And yep. so we're on a train and uh, we got off and like, all right, here's our exit. And we get off and one kid just turned around to, to look the other way and turned back around and the door shut right in front of him. And so <laughs> he, was a, he was a high school football player and the door shut. And our intern was the one that just had just gotten off. And so he put his hand on the window and put the hand on the window and then the train was gone. And so we talked about what to do is a little bit, there are cell phones, but they didn't get any signal underground. Right. Uh, so our, our plan was when you get off. So when, when, if you get off, go get off at that stop. And if you need to get a hold of us, go upstairs, call, and we can meet you at the next stop. But ideally what we'd love you to do is just get back on the train and go one stop back. We'll wait for you. So that was what we did. So we waited and waited and the kid didn't show up. And so we're like, so I sent somebody upstairs to go make sure we can get a cell signal, uh, not getting a call. I told the rest of the youth group to go upstairs. I had a kid like ready to fight me. Like, we're not leaving him behind. <laughs> like, no, we're not leaving behind. I'm staying right here. I need you to go upstairs. Um, so what ended up happening was when he got back on, he got back on an express. So that means it didn't stop at our stop. It went three stops. And so it, he was two stops away up there and so then when he tried to get back on to go the other way he was at one of the spots that has like the crossings and yeah. so he got on a train that went this way like oh east west to the north south and so it was a good half hour of like we've lost a kid in new york city oh and i don't know how we're getting him back um <laughs> but eventually we were able to make cell phone contact he went upstairs finally and called and really, he wasn't that far away because it was a he kind of did a triangle. And so our hotel is like in the middle. I was like, hey, dude, you're two blocks away from the hotel. Walk that direction. We'll meet you at the hotel. But anyway, losing a kid in New York City, that was probably <laughs> one of the better stories uh, that that group all still talks about to this day. It's funny. And probably running through your mind is, oh, I'm getting fired when I get back. Home. <laughs> yeah. yeah at, at that point, you're just like, I just hope we find this kid. <laughs> right. Oh, gosh. Um, that's hilarious. Uh, if you had one more thing to say to our listeners, what would it be? Yeah, man, I, I'm just reminded of the goodness of Christ. Um, when things get complicated, when things you get you get a mess of, of what you're seeing in the church or on, in the news, um, I'm, I'm, I'm always drawn back to Jesus. And when we can we can focus on Christ, set our eyes on Christ. Um, hang out in his world, whether it's hang out in the gospels and, and finding ways to be captivated again by who he is, what he's about, his message. I, I think that's, that's what's most needed. So if, if you're out there struggling, <laughs> you're out there struggling to make sense out of faith and life, uh, take, take some time out just to be with Jesus, to, to renew uh, again, your love for who Jesus is. And then the rest of the pieces start to make a little more sense, but uh, that's the best best advice I can give you for today, I think. Yeah, that's great. Well, Brian, thanks for being on the podcast. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. Glad to be a part. All right, see you later. See you.